Marine veteran Eric Dominiani is the only founder of Fjord Scotch, the only U.S. veteran-owned and only black-owned scotch available in the market. Coming up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. With Navy Federal, you could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed-rate home equity loan with zero closing costs, or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. All right, today we're talking with Marine veteran Eric Dominiani, founder of Fior Scotch. So, um, Eric, always good to have a fellow Marine on, on, the, uh, on the show. Uh, looking forward to talking. Uh, hoorah, yeah, looking, for, looking forward to talking. We've walked some of the same ground I see from your profile. Um, looking forward to hearing uh, everything about your entrepreneurial experience. And you're the only black-owned, veteran-owned Scotch brand available in the U.S., right? Actually, I'm the only black-owned Scotch, and I'm also the only veteran-owned Scotch, American veteran-owned Scotch. Wow, that's cool. So it's, I have a double. <laughs> yeah, definitely unique. That's cool. All right, well, before we get to talking about entrepreneurship in Scotch, I want to hear what you did in the Marine Corps. Okay, I was a, uh, a, for Marines out there, I was an assault amphibian officer. Oh, yeah. For those who are not Marines, the best way to describe it is I was an amphibious armored uh, personnel carrier officer, I guess that's the door, or mechanized infantry, amphibious mechanized infantry would be a great way to put it in plain speak. Floating tanks. Yes. <laughs> barely. Uh, they barely amazing. float above the waterline. Yeah. I like to just say they don't float. They just pump out water faster than they take it in. But, you know. <laughs> They're leaking like a sieve the whole time. Huh? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about you actually spent 20 some years in the Marine Corps. Tell us a little bit about some of the things you did. Yeah, I started off, uh, I joined the Marine Corps approximately at 1997. I retired after 20 years and like 30 days of service. I said, you know, the Marine Corps is not going to get one extra day out of me. <laughs> 30 days later, they let me go. But, <laughs> but I served as a, an, assault amphib- uh, an assault amphibian officer. Uh, absolutely loved it. Uh, again, you heard what I did. I spent a lot of time uh, uh, motorized and mechanized and dismounted uh, infantry. So basically what I did was sometimes I'm in my armored vehicle, sometimes in an up-armored Humvee, and sometimes we were kicking indoors on the ground. So I did uh, three tours in Iraq, uh, two tours in Okinawa. I spent a lot of time in the Caribbean, short time in Afghanistan, and I've lived on all coasts, um, I just absolutely loved it. I've been a company commander more times than I could tell you, a team leader. That's what I really enjoyed more than anything. But eventually you get promoted and you, they put you in a desk job. They take away your turret and they give you a swivel chair. Yeah. So. <laughs> I hear you. Well, hey, so your, your transition is a little different than somebody got out after four years or eight or, or, eight or 10 years. You actually retired. You got a member of the Paycheck of the Month Club and all that. But still, you had to go through a transition. What was that like for you? It was, I'm still transitioning out of it. Um, I, I tried to, uh, it, it was hard. So let's start from the beginning. It was uh, the transition from military to civilian is very, very difficult, especially if you're those individuals who didn't retire in a non-military um, background. Because if you retire in Quantico, 
or you know, Virginia, even San Diego, there's going to be a lot of retired Marines or sailors or airmen, and you're able to speak the same language. You know they're all going to show up on time. You know that if you if your car breaks down, someone is going to pull over to help you. Things like that. When you retire in a non-military town, it's a little bit different. Uh, no one understands what zero three means. Hey, I'll see you at seventeen hundred. That that was <laughs> the first transition. I had to start speaking. English. I had to relearn my native language. I have to say five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock. The other difficult thing was, uh, and this is, I know this sounds bad, but for those of us who are in the veteran community, um, hopefully this makes you feel better. People don't show up on time. People don't take credit. Uh, They don't put forth the effort to do a great job. Uh, You know, at five o'clock, the job's over, they leave. I mean, that's, sorry, if they, if they're, if the job is still supposed to be continued, they just stop working. And that's not something that people in the military used to. We, we put forth all of our effort to get the best job done. And if it's not job, job, if the job's not done at 1700 or sorry, five o'clock, you work till 515, seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night until the job is done and you're proud of it. It's not quite like that in, you know, in the civilian world. And I do apologize to my civilian audience. It's, it's just kind of, you know, a little different for us. Yeah. I mean, trust me, there's, there's some, uh, there's some incredible civilian leaders out there and uh, you know, there's just a lot of, uh, great civilian companies and everything, but the, the, the military, the main thing the military does is, I would say, isn't really fight wars. The main thing the military does is create leaders. And the civilian world doesn't spend a lot of time and money creating leaders on a daily basis. They, they can't afford to. They're like, we got we to gotta make, we gotta make, make payroll here. Um, so it's a different game. And I think you can gain all those leadership experiences over time in the civilian sector and those that are paying attention and embrace it. But Nowhere else that I've ever seen does the mil- except the military are they constantly emphasizing and stressing and hammering leadership into your head that from the most junior individual all the way to the most senior leadership is constantly driven and and pumped into all the training programs and daily life everywhere you go it's just leadership leadership yeah. leadership you almost get so sick of it at some point when hearing about it every yeah. day you know I mean eventually you do. But then you you get out and you go into a place that doesn't even talk about leadership, let alone know what it is. You know, it's like, and then you see then you see the difference. But there are some, you know, a lot of good companies and civilian leaders leaders out there. And absolutely, yeah. And one of the things you see is the uh, even if you're the one thing about the Marine Corps, like this, you know, armed services in general. Even if you're in the absolute most horrible environment, if you have a good leader, you love going to work. You absolutely cannot wait. To, to get for you're part of a team. That's the other one is team building. You're in the Marine Corps, you're with the, the army with you're part of a team. And when you get out to the civilian workforce and you're a part of the team 24 hours a day, seven days a week, when you get out to the civilian workforce, it's not necessarily like that. And I'm not saying all, you know, the, the, the big broad aspect, but in general terms, it's a nine to five. I don't care what goes on outside of my nine to five. For us, it's not a nine to five. It's a lifestyle. It's a family. It's an extension of, of our, of who we are. So you're proud to be part of this unit. You're proud to go to work every day. It's not so so much the same from what I've seen from my civilian counterparts. Becoming a member of Navy Federal Credit Union can help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long-term. 
considering a big home improvement project? Maybe you want to consolidate debt? You could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing costs or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. Both options could help make life big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA Equal Housing Lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loans subject to approval. Our good friend Wanda has been wearing the new MD hearing aid for several weeks now, and what a difference has it made, not only for her, but everyone else. We don't have to repeat ourselves all the time. This podcast is sponsored by MD Hearing. It's 2024. Are you still paying thousands of dollars for hearing aids that don't even work right? MD Hearing is an FDA-registered rechargeable hearing aid that costs a fraction of what typical hearing aids cost. MD Hearing's brand-new XS model costs over 90% less than clinical hearing aids. And the XS is MD Hearing's smallest hearing aid ever. It fits inside your ear, and you won't even know it's there. MD Hearing was founded by an ENT surgeon who saw how many of his patients needed hearing aids but couldn't afford them. He made it his mission to develop a quality hearing aid that anyone could afford. It's crazy how good the quality is at only $397. Wanda loves her hearing aids. Plus, MD Hearing has sold over 1.5 million hearing aids, and they offer a 45-day risk-free trial with a 100% money-back guarantee, so you can buy with confidence. So if you want MD Hearing's smallest hearing aid ever, go to shopmdhearing.com and use promo code VETERAN to get their new $397 when you buy a pair offer. That's shopmdhearing.com and use our promo code VETERAN and get their new $397 when you buy a pair offer. With a busy schedule, it's always important to prioritize your to-do list, but the little things can keep you from conquering your tasks. That's where Squared Away comes in. Their remote executive assistants tackle the tasks you don't have time for, so you can focus on what really matters. And what I really love about this company is their dedication to supporting military families. Squared Away was founded by a military spouse who realized that she was part of an amazing talent pool, and when changing bases made it hard to hold down a job, their skills were underutilized. At Squared Away, highly educated military spouses become your trusted remote executive assistants. They operate in all U.S. time zones for a fraction of the cost of a full-time employee. Squared Away has already supported so many business owners with just about every kind of task or project. From event planning, grant writing, bookkeeping, proofreading, or updating the company website and social media, to personal tasks like booking a plane flight for a dog, researching puppeteers, or planning a virtual baby shower. I have a couple of military spouses that help me publish this podcast, so I know firsthand that military spouses are capable of great things. So contact Squared Away today to see how they can support your business. Just go to GoSquaredAway.com slash contact. That's GoSquaredAway.com slash contact. All right, we're back talking with Marine veteran Eric Dominiani, founder of Fuel Scotch. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell I'm really concentrating yeah. hard pronouncing that last name. But <laughs> <laughs> I got it right two, two, two times in a row. So anyways. Um, there we go. So yeah, uh, you know, the thing about leadership, civilian versus military, one thing I noticed, leadership is universal. Like it doesn't matter where you go. The definition of good leadership is the same everywhere. It doesn't matter what language or what country you're in. And it doesn't matter whether you're in a civilian sector or a military unit. Good leadership is always recognized as good leadership. And so, uh, you know, it is universal. So if you're a good leader doing one thing, you can be a good leader doing anything else. And so that's why veterans who have had a lot of leadership training, there's probably no more leadership training anywhere else in the world, like I said earlier, than you get in the military. And you can take that leadership out of the military to any, take it in anything that you do. So um, that's why 
companies love hiring veterans and that's why veterans make great entrepreneurs. You got to be a good leader to be an entrepreneur. So talk a little bit about uh, what you did when you first got out of the Marine Corps. You get a couple of normal corporate jobs or do you jump right into this entrepreneurship thing? Well, actually right before, just before I retired from the Marine Corps, we had some headhunters who came down to the base and one of them said something that I think is quite profound. He looked at my back, just talking to him and he says, wow, with your experience, you'd be the first person I would hire, but I would never notice you at all because the requirement from this for this job is to have a doctorate degree, which you do not have, even though you have the requisite skills. But because you don't have a PhD, you can't click the PhD button, and I would never know about you. No one would ever. You would never come across my desk. So, and this is the headhunter, and he said basically, it's all about who you know. If someone gave me your name and told me to interview you, I would hire you on the spot. But unless someone told me to speak with you, I would never even know you existed. So that was yeah. that was a big wake-up call for me. So I did uh, 20 years in the Marine Corps. After I got out, I wanted a break. I told my boss I wanted to do something uh, exciting. I wanted to do something that was uh, that would instill pride and joy. I mean, he was like, you know, go FBI or CIA. And I was like, no, I'm going to culinary school. Uh, <laughs> really? I'm, I'm half Italian. It's in my blood. I don't know if you know, but I went up against Bobby Flay many, many years ago. A throw down with Bobby Flay, uh, oh, season cool. one, episode five, if you'd like to look at it. And I've always had a passion for cooking. Oh, awesome. So I went to culinary school. I took a little bit of break, uh, played with the kids, you know, went to the beach and learned how to relax and smoke cigars and things like that. And you know, not worry about waking up at five in the morning, even though I still wake up at five in the morning. And then uh, I went to culinary school, uh, loved it. It was something that I've always wanted to do. I studied in Thailand, I studied in Singapore. Then unfortunately, COVID broke out. And uh, that kind of put a delay on many things that I wanted to do, including my next venture, which was with my fewer scotch. Um, that was something that was probably many years in the making that I didn't even think was going to get to that level. So where did this idea for fewer scotch come from? It was, I had just left Miami. I was stationed in 29 Palms, if you're familiar with the area. <laughs> yeah. For those of you who don't know, it's like our Fort Irwin. It's the middle of the desert. Uh, it's Joshua Tree. The best place to eat uh, comes with fries, if you understand <laughs> what I'm getting at. And when you're in the Marine Corps, I'm not sure about the other services, but, you know, coming, being a Yankee who's half Italian, who loves his food, a lot of these areas that I was stationed at exactly were, they didn't, they weren't exactly conducive to having a good palate, if you understand what I'm getting at. And you get it. And whenever you're around a base, it's whatever service they give you, as long as it's a little bit better than what they give you on base, you just suck it up. That's what, you know. Hey, can I please have a haircut that's not crooked today? Okay, thanks for not making it fully crooked. Can I have a cheeseburger with no mayo and no mustard? Okay, well, you got the no mayo, right? But thanks for the, you know, but you put mustard on it. So you always just get shafted. And I basically was just tired of it. And I went to a bar with my friends in Los Angeles. And uh, some of the Marines, some of them are in, out, you know, but I was at the point, the only active duty guy. And some guy offered to buy me a shot. And I would say, hey, thank you for your service. He said, hey, you're a Marine? I was like, yes, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, hey, absolutely, thank you. At first, I thought he was hitting on me. Uh, I know it sounds funny, <laughs> but then I took a shot of what he gave me, and it was the absolute worst thing I've ever drank in my mouth. It literally left a bad taste in my mouth. Oh, geez. And I was just so... Like, I was just so like, I can't get anything right. All I want to do is just have one good drink or one good meal. Can I get something that shows up? You're just 
furious. Like, it's not that I wanted anything better. I just wanted what I asked for. You know, it's not hard to just, can I have water with ice in it, please? You know, I'm not asking for much. So I'm in a really bad mood. My buddies are like, come on, just, just shut up. And we hit bar after bar. And then I walked into this bar in uh, Huntington Beach, I think it was. And I said, what do you have for rum? And the guy is like, show me the most generic rum in the world. And then I was like, is that all you have? And he points up and the whole top of the bar has scotches just, just everywhere. And the guy's like, hey, man, this is a scotch bar. You know that, right? I'm like, no, I, I, I didn't. So I pulled up my Navy Fed uh, account, my card. I threw it on the table and I said, teach me. And he's like, what? I'm like, listen, I've always wanted to be a chef. I know absolutely nothing about scotches. I know rums. I know wines. I know this and that. But I know absolutely nothing about scotches. Teach me. So he's like, really? You want to learn? And he's like jumping all over. Okay, well, you take this one and you put a little bit of water. This one's good meat. I like this one with a little bit of soda. Never let your bartender pour water in your drink unless you know him because the gun is too powerful. It'll overflow. And he went off on this tutorial about regions and, and, and you know, highlands and spacesides and, you know, islands. And I always like to say the frog because I it's that's, he said the frog. And I was like, oh, the frog. Yeah, it's just a joke. <laughs> and then I left with a great taste in my mouth and I guess new inspiration. Um, and then I started, I guess, you know, to fast forward, I started a scotch collection over the years. Uh, nothing amazing. Some of them were really, really good. Some of them were good, some of them average. And I just started tasting and I'm trying to figure out what, you know, what does this region do? What does that region do? I'm farthest thing from an expert right now. And then uh, that eventually evolved into a infinity bottle or a legacy bottle. And for those of you who don't know what that is, imagine if you have your favorite, your favorite, um, I would say brown liquor of choice. And then you, you say, hey, I really like this as a base. So you take the last one or two fingers of it and you pour it inside your, your bottle. And you're like, okay, that's my base. But I would like it a little smokier or peatier. So after you go through a few more bottles, you're like, hey, you know, this one has that quality I'm looking for. And then after you have like one or two drum, you pour that inside. And then you just make your own house blend. Well, that, it was supposed to end there. I have dinner parties at my house constantly because I love to cook. I have quite a few Marine buddies who, who live nearby and they come over every weekend. And then we're, you know, I'd be cooking dinner. And after that bottle got to the point where it's not going to get any better, I'm not going to add anything else to it. I said, I am going to open it. So I cracked it open. They, everyone loved it. We're sitting out smoking cigars, sipping on it. Absolutely loved it. But then after another party, another party, another party, the level of the contents are going down. They're not getting any better. So I contacted a good buddy of mine. Um, I just remembered at this point, my uncle Luciano used to get wine made. And when he gets his wine made, he's like, I want a 52% this, 24%. And he orders it from California. And my old boss, Colonel Augustine Bolaño, he does the same with cigars. And I want a uh, Connecticut wrapper with a Honduran fill, with this gauge, with this shape, this length. And I figure if they could do that, how come I can't do that with my scotch? There's got to be a way to do it. And I don't know anything about how to get this done. Luckily, I went to school with a guy named Jim Landis, who is four generations deep into the alcohol importation, exportation, sales, you know, spirit. He, you might know him for hypnotic. His father was the one who brought Finlandia to America. Oh, yeah. He was my close friend in college. 
And he comes down every quarter down to Miami. So I said, hey, Jim, are you still in the alcohol business? And he's like, yeah, are you still cooking? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's like, hey, uh, so I contacted him and I was like, I got this product and I would like to know if you can make a few cases a year. You know, I don't know how you would do it. I don't know how we can duplicate. He's like, not a problem. So a couple of months later, he shows up. He loves it. He says, it's really, really good. And he's like, yeah, I think it's actually worth even making some bottles. So we made a couple of cases, you know, seven months later, well, more than seven months later. I finally received it and I was opened it up for my friends and they loved it. And, but the problem is they said, Hey, where can I buy a bottle of this? I'm like, you can't buy a bottle of it. So, well, I'll buy a bottle from you. I'm like, I can't sell it to you. That's like me charging you for dinner. Yeah. So they were like, Hey, and my buddy Pete, Hey bro, you really need to get this out of the house. You know, you, you use got to sell this. You know what I'm saying? And so this is, <laughs> this is a, just to make sure I got it right. This is a, a blend of several different Scott of your favorite scotches together, different yeah. percentages, right? Well, I, won't say, I will not say it's my favorite, a blend of my favorite scotches because just because a scotch is really good or my favorite scotch, it may not go with the blend that I was trying to create. Okay. And the reason is, uh, and I'll, I'll get into that in a second, but uh, reality is, when you're making a blend, when people are like, oh, single barrels, I need a single maw, I need a, that means it's confined to the characteristics of that region, right? Just like right. Italian food or French food or champagne, it, it's, it has to have the characteristics of that specific alcohol, of that region, of that sand. A blend, you can do whatever you want. That's the best part. I can go gangbusters and say, you know, this was this specific type of scotch would be so much better if it had a little bit more peat or a little bit less smoke. And that's what I wound up doing. So I can't say it's the best scotches or the best uh, or my favorite scotches. It's just what worked with my legacy bottle. Wow. So eventually, back to the story, my, my buddy, uh, you know, he made the bottles. My friends loved it. They wanted to buy it. I said, it's not for sale. And I was kind of like stabbed in the, in the ribs a few times. Like, hey, man, you really need to get this out there. And I contacted my buddy, Jim Landis, again. And I said, did you like it? He's like, yeah, it was pretty good. I'm like, do you think that we can like take this out of my house? Maybe, you know, more than a couple of cases, but get this out to the market. And he's like, you know, it's good enough to get it out there with the right marketing, with the right pitch, with the right, you know, approach. I think we could actually get it out there. And here we are six awards later, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a Forbes interview later, <laughs> no you know, yeah. I just did a Forbes interview. I just did uh, a few days ago and, um, you know, six awards um, trying to figure out which is the next, you know, what, what's next on the list right now. So I've, uh, I, I, I hold my food with a passion. Nothing comes across my desk unless I'm proud of it. Any Marine who's ever eaten at my house, any, so anybody who's ever eaten, forget about if they were Marines. If it's not, if I can't brag about it, I will not put it on the table. Yeah. So, what was it like getting approval from the different scotch makers to take theirs and mix it in with uh, some other stuff? Was that an right, issue? That, no, 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 no. That was, that really wasn't, that was my own blend. There's nothing wrong with a legacy bottle. Um, you know, basically what you do is that once you get your, your blend, it's a, it's just taste profile. And then you have Somalia, the equivalent of Somalias and they go on, they, they say, okay, this has this characteristic and then you just duplicate it. And uh, basically when we had the initial group of bottles, my buddy came back with three tasters and he was like, what do you, which, what do you think? And, uh, the just like typical military fashion, the first one is good. The third one is okay. But the second one was, uh, my friend's not in the military at all. The second one was, I'm like, wow, this is exact. This is amazing. And he's yeah. like, that's the closest we can duplicate. Uh, the closest we can get to, uh, the, you know, 
the flavor profile from your bottle. And I was like, let's go with it. So none of that was needed. There's nothing wrong with blending. It's, it's, you know, you can, there's nothing wrong with buying in bulk and mixing, you know, it's like, I'm going to mix a Cabernet, uh, 33% Cabernet Sauvignon and 25% Merlot and, you know, whatever is remaining with something else. There's nothing wrong with that. And in in the mixing thing, um, it's like safe and secure as far as like, you know, God forbid it comes out tasting different one time. You know what I mean? That's okay. So that was a fear I had. Yeah. So when we went to our first mass production or first production, I won't say mass production. Uh, I was very worried that it wasn't going to taste the way that when I created it and I was just, and again, if it's not, I, I won't put my seal of approval on it unless it's up to my standard. After the first group of bottles came out, I was the happiest guy in the world. <laughs> so you, you look, if you buy a bottle, on the back, you'll see my signature on it. That means it's from the second generation of bottles because I just didn't know what it was going to be like when you mass produced it. Because if you like to cook, once you start to make large and larger, or you cook in bulk, it doesn't. A lot of times, you lose out on some of that love or passion or that because you can't pay attention the way you you uh, yeah. you do to it when it's smaller when you make it individual or a la minute. And are you still making? Um... Are you still creating your your legacy bottle from different blends of scotch, or did they start making a scotch that tasted like you wanted it to, to taste? And that's exactly it. Uh. So I still like you know I make my own salami, I make my own sausage, I make my own mead, my own wine, my own beer. Wow. My house is just if you open up my refrigerator, it's filled with chicken bones and stock and stuff. But yes, yeah, so, so it, with them, they are the ones who now create it. Okay, uh, wow. I, it comes from Scotland to be a scotch. It has to come from Scotland. So I have a company in Scotland that produces it to my specifications. And that's where we are now. I have had a little bit of negative feedback that helped me out. Um, you know, you're not scotch. You can't make, you can't make a scotch. And I'm like, you're not a scot. You can't make scotch. And I'm like, why not? And it's like, well, go to New York. They're not Italian. You could have a pizzeria that has some of the best pizza in the world. And they were like, this, yeah. this one gentleman was like, ah, okay, you got me. And it's like, as long as I stay with the confines, the restraints and the constraints of what it is to be a scotch and what it is not to be a scotch, isn't it a scotch? I don't have to be from Scotland. And he's like, nah, okay, and try it. And he's like, fine. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. And I got an apology. I, I really got an apology. He's like, hey, man, I got to be honest. This is, this is some pretty good juice. And I was like, thank you so much. It meant the absolute world to get the approval rating from a actual scotch, you know, like a Scott scotch aficionado, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, and it's actually, it is actually made by Scots in Scotland. So how can it be? <laughs> exactly. So like, you know, if you could be Chinese and making pizza in New Jersey, uh, it's still pizza, right? <laughs> you don't have to be Italian to make pizza yeah. anymore. You know? So yeah. we'll talk about some of the, you know, talk about the money flow, the business aspects, the entrepreneurial aspects of it, running a scotch I, okay. business now. Okay. So the number one thing for me, it was that it, it is exceptionally difficult. The reason why I think I'm doing well is because I knew somebody and I, I can't, you know, make, I can't lie, make a joke or even make a light of the fact that I would not be here without my buddy, uh, Jim, who has many, many years uh, of experience because I knew absolutely nothing. Uh, for those people who want to get into a similar business, I would highly recommend not to, unless you have someone like a friend or a link to someone who is in the business, because it's very, very difficult. They say that there's nothing more difficult than reviving a dead alcohol or a dead spirit. 
you know, um, it's just, it's just, you know, it's just, you know, where's the money going to come from? How uh, distribution, every state has a different law and every state has different yeah. councils with different liquor laws. And we're at the point, you know, the post COVID, nobody wants to work. They have no problem pushing through. They want to deliver. They want to do straight up logistics. No one really wants to sell your brand anymore. So there's the last thing I remember, there's 50 states in the United States, 48 in the continental United States. And I can't be in 48 states, probably only 42 states that are allowed to be delivered and walk through and sell it to every county, to every liquor store. It's impossible. That's why you have individuals, you know, organizations that you hire, distributors to market your brand for you. Sell it to that uh, liquor store owner, that wine store owner. And it is it is difficult uh, because some people just, you know, they want to go with the standard that's out there as opposed to trying to uh, sell something that's unknown. So that is, yeah. I would say, one of the biggest problems with it is getting it out there. No kidding. What kind of, uh, you know, as a veteran, experienced leader, what, what kind of blind spots did you have when it came to business? Well, this is a completely different, uh, you know, when you're a leader, you have a staff. You know, I've been a company commander. I was basically a battalion commander at one point i had an amazing staff if i don't know the answer i had someone behind me who did you asked me a question about communications and gigahertz and megawatts and i could give you the big broad blue arrow hey we're not gonna have comms tomorrow why actually i learned my leadership from uh at the time it was captain joe murray uh he, he ran his company like a mafia round table it was amazing just to see that he would come in with his staff and when they ask a question, he would just point to his staff member and his staff member could give all the details. So the hard, the, the biggest thing when you run a business is you have to trust your staff. If your staff is incompetent, you're, you're going to fail. That's it. Because you know nothing. There's no way. If I did not have a good staff, I would not even be talking to you right now. So you have to have a competent staff. I could yeah. say I want to get distributed in um, – Washington, D.C. Let's get fewer out to Washington, D.C. Awesome. When your staff, if they feel comfortable around you and they're not scared of you, they'll say, sir, uh, maybe this city or this state or this town is not the greatest area uh, because it requires so much administrative, you know, juggling. This is not the greatest place. Or maybe this is not a this is a dry county. I know you want to get it there, but these people are bourbon drinkers. They're never going to drink scotch. There's a hundred things, and that's what you have to trust your staff to have the experience and the know-how. You give them a direction, and they tell you whether that you should do it or not. And if they tell you we, why we shouldn't do it, if they tell you we shouldn't do it, they need to tell you why you shouldn't do it. Because as a leader, you might have the ability to circumvent that. Right. Yeah, and and not having a staff behind you is, is tough coming out of the military. Uh, we're used to having a lot of a lot of support all around us. You start, you know, a solopreneur starting their own business has nobody to lean on, nobody to tap into, so it becomes very difficult. Then you turn into one of those "I'm going to do it all myself" persons, and so you're tapped out and you can't do everything. You don't know everything. You just don't have enough time in the day to do it. So it is somewhat of a balancing act. And you know, low budget stuff in the beginning, you you, you can't afford to hire high end people um, to do these things for you. So um, you do have to figure out creative ways to have those resources and brain brain trust around well, you. One of the most hilarious uh, administrative obstacles. Here's a perfect example of one of the craziest administrative obstacles I had. I ran into. I had to prove I was black, <laughs> and I was like, I, I looked. I was like, excuse me. 
And I was like, well, it's not on my driver's license. It's not on my birth certificate because I'm 51 years old. It, it wasn't there. And, and I'm mixed. You look at my last name. I have a lot of mixtures in me, but I was like, uh, it's not on this. It's not on that. I had to go to the VA and they would look at me like, you are black. I mean, I'm like, but I need something that says. <laughs> we had to dig, sift through paperwork to get official documentation to prove that I was black. And I was like, you know, you know, <laughs> That's I, I, I was like, wow, you know, and no one could ask my friend who's Chinese. I was like, she flipped out. I said, can you prove you're Chinese? She's like, come on, look at me. I'm like, no, a piece of paper that official paper that says you're Chinese and it's not on her, uh, it's not on her birth certificate. It's not on her driver's license. She's like, Oh my God, I, 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 I've been living a lie my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who I am. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was just something crazy just to get, you know, to show that I was, it was a black owned uh, business. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. The things you assume. <laughs> well, yeah. um, yeah, so Eric, we are getting close to the end of our time. How do we find Fewer Scotch? Uh, you can find it. Uh, the best way to do it is uh, you can contact me directly at uh, ericd at fewerscotch.com. You can go to our website at www.fewerscotch.com. Oh, Once again, www.fewerscotch.com. And uh, it's, we're located right now for sale in New York, uh, South Carolina, Texas, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and we will be available in Florida any day now. Uh, that's where I'm at. Yeah. I'll be looking for it. Oh, same here. Miami. Uh, <laughs> that's where I live right Too now. Too far south. And, okay. And, uh, you know, for those individuals who are looking and actually have liquor stores, you can actually get it through LibDib if you're in the uh, Florida area. Awesome. That's great. Well, Eric, uh, you've shared a, a great story and a you know, phenomenal uh, list of great things that, that uh, we can all take to heart. Um, thanks for sharing your successful entrepreneurial experience coming out of the Marine Corps. Um, we do want to give you the last word. If you are talking to somebody that's getting out of the, getting out of the military or they're, they're, they're struggling with where they landed and they're looking to get in entrepreneurship or business, what kind of advice comes to mind? Have good friends, no friends in high places. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it's a brutal world out there. And like I said, you might be the most qualified person for the job, but the civilian market, they might recognize, I'm shaking my head, they might recognize that you've done, you were a master welder in the Marine Corps or the Navy, but unless you have a piece of paper that says you are a master welder, they're not going to acknowledge that. You might have taught everything. You might have taught a the class on, uh, on Korea, the expert in the military on the Caribbean theater, but you don't have a PhD, uh, you know, in, uh, the Caribbean affairs or, or something along those lines, you need a piece of paper that says it. So school, schooling is everything piece of paper. The experience is number one, but you need to have a piece of paper to back it up. Awesome. Well, Hey Eric, great advice. Uh, thanks for sharing your entrepreneurial success story and uh, look forward to seeing your success out there with fewer scotch. Awesome. And much, much appreciated for you giving me the time, Joe. Uh, hope to talk to you again soon. You bet. All right. These two Marines are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike. <laughs>